The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. I don't want to be flippant about it, Kev, but, um, God, we've had enough dark humour over the last year. I think we can have a little bit more. I am one step closer to being able to lick the handrails at Reading Station. (laughs) Um, I said said this to Giles the other day. When I've got my second jab, Giles, I am licking the handrails at the local station. He said, what? What are you talking about? So, uh, it's it's um it's jab jab's been well first jab has been done. Kev, thing is mm. these jabs all as good as they are, you, you lick the rails at Reading Station and you'll get pregnant. <laughs> it's not Corona you want to worry about if you lick the rails at Reading <laughs> Reading Station. The handrails that would be not. Did it? Uh, um, it was right actually. Uh, do you know? As I said on the other podcast, I don't want to be jingoistic about it. But I think we've done a blooming good job in the UK. It just felt like everybody was really, really happy for you, that they were kind of pushing, come this way, get it, go on, across the road, in you go. But it was, you wouldn't know of the show Logan's Run, or do you? Well, I, I, rem- I recognise the name. I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was about, though. Logan's Run was a, an American, I think it was an American, I'm sure it was an American um, sci-fi thing. It was all about um, when you get to a certain age, you sort of, you walk into a building on one side, and you never come out the other side. They tell you that you're going on to this amazing world and all the rest of it, but but in actual fact, they you know it's essentially the sausage factory, and mm. it and it felt a bit like that because we arrived in the car park and we all streamed in in this one long stream into the centre, but I couldn't see anybody coming out the other side. Mm, I've been to a bar in Amsterdam like that. <laughs> I think that's a different kind of place altogether, Kevin. The Fuji you, cast. I'm not sure. Don't talk over the jingle. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we should talk about that. Or do you? Did you want to? Did you want to expand on that? I was going to say, did you have any? Uh, what do they call it? After effects? No, that's Premiere Pro. No, um, what do they call it? Side effects. <laughs> After effects. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, everything is dissolving now. Nicely. Um, no, not really. I had a, a very sore arm a couple of days ago, and I felt a bit wooze, a bit punch drunk um, directly afterwards, but no, not really. I mean, I think I've got off lightly. Some people have been laid out for a few days, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all good. Well done. All good. Happy about that. That's. I've, I feel like I've done my, um, my civic duty in saying, because I know not everybody believes in this, have your jab. It's the only yeah. way we can beat it. Well, I had to register with a GP this week because otherwise I won't get mine. And, and that was fun because I had to try and remember that the, the doctors always at last and their address and everything. And, uh, suffice to say, they, I'm not really on the system. <laughs> uh, well, but I am now. You are now, yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, welcome to the show. It is a photography show, funnily enough. Um, you and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of if you are not already. Send your questions in to click at fujicast.co.uk or, of course, you can um, put them in the, the Facebook group. If you're not a Fujifilm shooter, as we say every week, do not worry, you're very welcome. Thank you to our friends who've supported us on Patreon and we'll start with your names in a moment, actually. Kev's book of the week this week is... It's called No System. No System? Vinka Vinka Pettersson. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a new one on me. Do you know where... Do you know where... Have a guess. What? A, a re, stab in the dark. Oh, no, no, hang on. Stab in the arm. Where do you think... <laughs> where do you think Vinka Pettersson lives? It's got to be an Icelandic, Nordic, Scandic 
region, surely. Pick a city. Any city. Oh, uh, uh, Reykjavik. No, Ramsgate. <laughs> Close to Oslo. <laughs> oh, right, OK. Ramsgate. It's a great book, though. Oh, right. I wasn't expecting you to say Ramsgate, though. <laughs> um, and we have, uh, we have Matt Porteous today on the show, who you interviewed. Where do you think Matt Porteous comes from? Oh, no, don't answer. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he can, he comes from Jersey, but he's living at the moment in the Maldives. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? Well, Jersey's not bad either. No, but then the Maldives I, is probably a little bit better. A bit warmer, probably. Yeah, although nice he, chap. he is swimming with sharks at the moment. Yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. He's saving the world. Well, he's coming up Good later man. on anyway. So um, we should mention the patrons. We've had uh, a few new members. We have indeed. Thank you so much for your kind support. Mm-hmm. As you know, although this week I, I, I didn't actually do it, so I feel really bad. But uh, each Monday you you do get a little addition in terms of a uh, a note with some links and videos and stuff that I, I well, we've curated during the week. However, this week I didn't do it, as I said, because I'm really bad because I had a very bad back. But anyway, on to the names. Uh, we have, in no particular order... Katie Dockin. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Katie. Robert Birnbach. Dodd Vickers. I love that name, Dodd. Isn't that a cool name? Dodd yeah. Vickers. Uh, we have Alice Wasserberger. I'm saying V for the W because I'm assuming it's German or Austrian. Then we have Daniel Ellis. And then we have uh, Nick Heisberg. And then we have Stephen Anker. So yeah. Katie, Robert, Dodd, Alice, Daniel, Nick, Stephen. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome aboard. Um... Actually, we should start with the bump to the front, shouldn't we? Uh, just, the yeah. one, just the one this week. Uh, it was from Johan Borhead, who sent me a message to disagree with me and be on your side, basically. Um, I totally agree with Kev about the boxes. It's absolutely yeah. bonkers. What are you going to do with a box on a shelf? And how do you say anything about the condition of the camera with that? Equally stupid is shutter count that people obsess with. You can take 50 images with a camera, but record a massive amount of video and take it all over the world. What's the shutter count? 57. Oh, it must be in mint condition then. Not really. I had hate mail about my opinion on boxes, of which I don't care. I still stand (laughs) by my opinions. People who keep boxes for their cameras to resell. And it actually, it's not so much that, oh, I'm not going through it again. It's not so much the people who keep them. It's the people who buy cameras only if they've got the, the boxes. They're the people. They should go into room 101. They should go into that, that, that room, room in, in Logan's thing. Creek or whatever you called Logan, it. And Logan's Run. Go through the door and the then end up factory. in yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I still think keep the boxes because one day if you're selling it, no. uh, one, it's environmentally friendly because you don't have to put it into another box. Second, for some people, yes, it is important to them. And third... Uh, it's those people it's not the use it's not the use who's keeping it because you know you might get a little bit more money in the future it's the people who buy it in the future the ones that i can't i've got no truck with god just don't understand it we'll never understand it why let's talk about something no talk about something else makes me angry (laughs) makes me angry well i tell you this much i bought a zorky 4 this week uh, which is an old russian camera from the 60s this one and i was a little bit overjoyed to hear that it's in its box That's well, like heritage for things heritage. that are vintage and stuff. Yes, granted. But listen, if you if you go to let's say you go to a flea market, what they call those things? Um, flea, uh, flea market. Yeah, I know what they call them over here. Car boot sale. Oh, oh right. Okay. You, you go to a car boot sale, right? And there is a I don't know. Let's just say there's a clock, right? You need a new clock. In this car boot sale, there's a clock. Mm. 
Yep. You know, just a regular old clock. It's yep. 10 quid. Careful. And then on the table next door, the same clock, mm. but it's in the original box. Oh, I'm having that. 11 quid. I'm all over it. You're going to pay a pound more. Oh, you bet. You're going to go home. Yep. And you're going to take care of the box. Yep. That's it. I'm doing. I'm going to go and do another podcast somewhere else. <laughs> Fed up with you. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I think I might be joking about the clock box. To be honest, I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure that that. I'm not quite sure that's uh, X regs, apples for apples, whatever the uh, expression. I'm going to get more hate mail now. I'm sure. <laughs> it probably but will. I stand by it. I bought a clock, dear Kevin. I bought a clock in a box. <laughs> right, should we go for a question? Yeah, we should. Do you want to go from from the Facebook group? I will go from the Facebook group. Yeah, why not? Um, I am going to scroll, 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 and it's from Matt. Oh, hang on, you've already answered it on the Facebook group. No, that really no, but that was one that came in. Well, you must have sent it twice then, because that was one that came into uh, our, um, our Patreon. No, 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 no. Very different. The question is, Matt says, Hi, Kevin, Neil. Uh, With you both shooting with BenQ calibrated monitors uh, that display almost all of the Adobe RGB colour gamut, do both of you set your Fujifilm cameras to shoot in Adobe RGB or do you leave them in sRGB? And then you answered on my thread. (laughs) Oh, did I? (laughs) Yeah, you said sRGB for me, which is right. Yeah. 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 Same for me. I'm sorry, yeah. I answered because I just I, I was sat there that day thinking I, sh- I should really sort of answer a few Facebook questions here, so I sort of ran through them. Sorry. Apologies Sometimes you can't see which thread they're in. Mm. Um, yeah, so sRGB for me too as well, just mostly because that's the digital world we live yeah. in. Uh, you're it, right about the Adobe RGB, which is a wider colour gamut. Yeah. Um, but really, unless you're unless a printer asks you specifically for uh, ARGB type images, if it's going digital, um, or if it's going to most kind of printers or, mm. or album manufacturers, they, they're going to want sRGB. Um, easy. James Joyce has written it about the X Pro Three shutter button. Uh, hello, Kev. Question for you: With my X Pro Three, I typically half press to focus and full press. Uh, to capture uh, an image. However, occasionally I miss a photo because there seems to be a delay in the shutter or I have to push down harder on the shutter. I also um, have an X100F and the shutter button seems to be very responsive. So I'm wondering if there's a defect with my X-Pro3. Have you come across a problem before? I recently bought the camera on MPB. So hopefully, oh, good for you. So hopefully I can use their warranty and send it back. If you have experience with the warranty services, I'd love to hear more about it. Well, I can tell you with the MPB warranty services, they're absolutely spot on. And I, I think they're, um, the way that they deal with their customers is really impressive. And I know that because I've had personal dealings with them through, obviously, my other podcast and having used them as a customer myself as well. So hopefully that should put your mind at rest. But what about his camera, Kev? I don't know, really. That that doesn't sound quite right to me. I'm, I'm, it's been a long time since I used my X-Pro3, but I always half depress also. Um I don't. I don't feel like I've ever thought this isn't quite right. So yeah, I would get. I would think. Yeah, it doesn't sound quite right to me. Mm. Basically, defective unit by the sound of it, maybe. Possibly. Yeah. I wonder if it, if it was a because um, MPB do um, secondhand stuff, don't it? So if it was a secondhand unit, mm. then potentially it might be something to do with that. But but yeah, get them to check it out. They'll they'll check it out and sort it out for you. They're very good. I mean, they do have um, camera professionals that generally work on the desk, and so if there is if there is an issue, they'll pass it to somebody. There's always somebody that either uses a Nikon, Nikon, Nikon or a Canon or a Fujifilm Olympus, whatever, um, there's lots of specialists there, so it's probably worth them passing it across one of the specialists' eyes. Um, maybe. 
Thank you, James. Your que- We're firing through these, Kev. That's it. Yeah. That's all we have time for this week. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Uh, right. Hold on. I need to find another one then. On, then. Whoa. This is from Rich Scaff. And he says, hello from China. Ooh, look at that. China. New to street, new to China. Loving combining the two. I bet. I would imagine that's an amazing yeah. place to go yeah. and shoot. I have an X-Pro3 that is amazing and indeed amazing to learn on. Seriously, who cares about that screen, he says with a winky face. <laughs> I have a, uh, uh, I have one, one frustrating <laughs> gripe, the oh. exposure wheel that turns, this seems, this has turned into the problems of the X-Pro3 show, mm. turns at the slightest touch. Is there any way to turn it off and assign that function elsewhere? I don't want to put tape on my beautiful camera. The exposure wheel presumably means exposure compensation dial. Mm. Again, that's not something that I feel like I've thought it's a problem. Have you, have you, you've got an X-Pro3, right? No, no, I didn't have the X-Pro3, sadly. I had the X-P2. No, the, yeah, the X-Pro2 was, it was a bit loose around the um, exposure compensation. And the X-Pro3, it, it's more tactile, so it's, mu- it's more of a kind of click, click, click type thing. Is it? Yeah, so it shouldn't really be that much of a problem. It's not something I can really remember, to be honest with you. Mm. Switching it off? No, I don't think you can. Um, of course, if you're shooting in in manual manually, then actually, even though you can use that, um, yeah, uh, no, I don't think you can. But um, yeah, stick some tape over it. I love sticking tape on my cameras. I cover up all the logos, all the scratches. <laughs> I, know, I know. Just tape it up. Nice big pink tape or something like that. <laughs> Kev, what can I do about? Uh, sorry, while we're talking about buttons and things, the Q button on the X. Pro One is driving me bonkers. I think it used to drive you bonkers as well, didn't it? Yeah. So easy to press. I tell you, yeah. you, you never ever use that camera with gloves. <laughs> Just <laughs> is impossible. I never use the Q button. Nor do I. I but you can't use it on have, any of the cameras. You can't help but press it. Yeah. Can I? Re- I can't. Can I the Q button it? on the X Pro One? Yeah. Oh yeah, on the back. Yeah. Right, and it's always in that position. Just while I'm holding. Where is my X Pro One? just around here hold on oh yeah it was under the afl button wasn't it yeah right um yeah right underneath and and it's in that position where my thumb is across and it's so there's a command wheel which i do use sometimes my so my thumb crosses that cue and it just nudges it so often yeah stick some tape on it some thick tape get some thick tape on it yeah probably some of riches (laughs) (laughs) because i never use the cue button no, yeah, I don't. I, I, although I, I do a little bit on the um, when I'm filming, but yes, the um, yeah, the X Pro One did have that big Q button, mm. I recall, and that Q button has moved around on pretty much every version of the cameras yeah. until they find <laughs> the perfect place for it. But yeah, look, nobody wants it. Stick it out the way, like in the box. Well, actually, you say nobody <laughs> wants it. it. It's probably the most used feature of Is the it? cameras according right. to the usability testing. Okay. Uh, we just don't use it. Two of us don't use it. We don't need it. Take it away. Put it Put it somewhere else. Look, look I know, underneath the window. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, first world problems. There's a couple of things here that uh, came in that I thought um, was worth a quick mention. And we were going to mention this at the start. I, this is, uh, I said, what should we talk about today? We ended up talking about the jab. But um, I, got, I got an email the other day, Kev. They said, good afternoon, Neil. Hope you're well. I'd be grateful if you can send me any commission figures you have for 2020 um, so I can complete my files for the year. Um, all, all the best from, I won't say the name, uh, from a venue. And I was thinking, did you, did you know there was a war on last year? That, no, that nobody actually shot a wedding? <laughs> yeah, I think that that, that's an, that must be an automated accounting email. It has to be. be. Yeah. 
has to be. Yeah. Um, hi, Kev. Hi, Neil. I listen to your podcast every day, not to learn about photography. Uh, I'm honestly learning a lot of English with you guys. What beautiful accents you both have. You should definitely start a business around this. A show like English with Kev. <laughs> well... <laughs> I was thinking, right. Yeah, because your, your, your spoken word is much, much well, better than mine. No, but it wasn't, it wasn't about me. This is about you. You English, English speaker. Uh, oh, I see. Yes. Well, I do speak English. You do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Welsh with Kev. Do you speak Welsh? Uh, no, not really. Oh. W- w- bits. Not stuff that can be done on, the, on air. Okay. And, and the other one was from Nick Calender who sent in an interesting mail, said, Hello, Neil, I noticed a peculiar effect this week. Stand by, Kev, I I think you might have an answer to this. It seems like more websites are using a white colour scheme, which can help with action goals, i.e. purchases. But for some reason, I find myself very eager to leave these websites. I was never sure why, maybe it was in my head. But now, um, he's... Based on Gestalt principles, it seems that you're more likely to click on something that has a darker background than a whiter background. Yeah, I don't know, I guess, maybe. But yeah, white is... What do you think about different backgrounds on websites, Kev? Yeah, I prefer clean and nice. I like white. All of mine are white. Um, But with decals, you know. Um, I like symmetry and all that kind of stuff. So the flow of it is important to me. I've never really thought about that. I mean, I find it hard to believe that black is better. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I've just typed it in there, the guess out principles and, and I'm, I immediately fell guess out psychology, guestalism or configurationism mm. is a school of psychology that emerged in the early 20th century in Austria and Germany as a theory of perception. That was a rejection to the basic principles of Wilhelm Wundt's and Edward Titchener's elementalist and structuralist psychology. I'm so glad I did colouring in at school and didn't do any of the serious stuff. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> that? That's one will. sentence as well. There wasn't even a comma. Really? Well, there was one comma at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the fact that the Google homepage and Amazon and... I don't know. That's quite interesting. Though. I like all of that stuff. I'm going to look into that a little bit more. Send your thoughts on a, on, on a postcard. Should I'm gonna if I'm gonna turn my, all my websites black next week and see how many weddings I book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's a great idea, Kev. Um, Gestalt. I've, I've bookmarked that. Gestalt you, psychology. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That's what when you're building websites, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Your question, Kev. Right. I have a, a question from Daniel Johnson, and this is specifically to me because he says, "I want to hear about your martial arts history and uh, and if it's benefited you in your photography." I can assume that you have trained some in Japan on your trips and perhaps with some Fuji gentlemen. Mm. Being a judo practitioner must have given you a little bit easier way to understand and navigate Japanese culture. I have myself a martial arts background and I suspect many other Fuji casters do too. And it's a very interesting subject. Mm. Yeah, well, it is an interesting subject, actually, because, um, no, although I've been to Japan a few times, I've never done judo there, um, mostly because all of the times that I went, I was not doing it at the time. But I have said to myself, if the opportunity ever arises again to go to, go to Japan, I will um, definitely do my best to to try and get a session out there. Mm. Um, I did once a long, long time ago when I was young. I was in the Welsh judo squad and they brought over a guy called Yushiro Yamashita. And he was the world champion heavyweight judo, Olympic champion. Mm. He was the guy that um, fought his Olympic, I think it was the LA, uh, yeah, LA Olympics. He fought the final with a broken foot. Anyway, he uh, he was hu- absolutely humongous, 
and they lined us all up, all 35 of us. And one after the other, we all ran at him to try and do something. <laughs> and every single one of us, he just f- swatted us off like a fly. It yeah. was it was quite incredible. But yeah, in terms of the fitness, um, <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't since March last year. We've had four sessions at judo, mm. which were socially distanced. So you can imagine how that went. No touching. No, you know, we used uh, belts strapped together as tension leads things like that so we haven't done any training judo wise and and you know it it is something that i i enjoy doing it is something that i feel like when any any kind of fitness any any exercise does help you when you're shooting weddings for sure yeah um you know i mean how many times have we well i'm i'm not speaking for you but i'm speaking for myself how many times have, have i caught myself in the you know those big mirrors they have in wedding reception halls everybody sat down having their lovely meals and all the women look beautiful and all the men look super slim and you know they've all got nice aftershave on and stuff and then i waddle past like you know attila the hun walking oh, by with a, a badly fitting suit and, and with gout with gout, gout. <laughs> gout. <laughs> and i remember one wedding last year not last year the year before it was a september wedding i think or october and i I had a massive black eye from judo. Oh, yeah. I got yeah. beaten up by a girl. Yeah. And uh, not that that's a negative thing. She was just brilliant. She and, was. Um, she, was, she really gave you a proper pasting, didn't she? She gave me a proper black eye. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so, yeah. I, I um, and, and you're right, though, Daniel, about the Japanese culture thing, because there was an element of, of, of that that I did kind of understand. Mm. Um, when I was there. So I knew that typically you would bear when you were entering like a room and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Here's one from Mohammed Parani who says, hello guys. Hope all is well. Just a quick two part question for Neil or Kev as well. Um, if you can answer while taking pictures now, Kev can actually, because you, you do talk about, um, audio when you do your street courses, which hopefully are coming back soon. Oh, we must talk about your, before we go into the interview in a moment, let's talk about your, um, uh, your new, your new um, presets. Oh, um, yeah. While yeah. taking pictures, I want to get an audio recorder to capture the ambience and conversations of the family when we go on trips or just to the park, so that when there is something cute that my four-year-old says, it can be incorporated into photo slideshows. So what kind of device can I use? Um, what would you recommend? I've heard Tascam, Zoom, and your podcast a few times, but for my purposes, what would be suitable? I don't want to add external mics or anything too fancy, uh, just something I can put in my pocket or in the side of the camera bag. Also, is there a way to load the audio files into a software and it can allow me to find locations via timestamps of certain moments, uh, provided I was to synchronise the time on both the camera and audio recorder? Thanks Mm. again for the excellent podcast. And by the way, I've been listening since episode two. Why, what was the matter with one? <laughs> why why does anybody start at two? Wouldn't you feel inclined to think, I wonder what happened at one? Maybe he's got every every edition of No, That's What I Call Music, apart from number from one. N- number one, that's it. <laughs> but you wouldn't start at two, would you, Kev? You'd think, what did I miss? P- possibly, what have I missed since... I don't know if you did can... We, did uh, we not publish... You can get no, it on our website, but I'm not sure on did, Apple it drops off after a period of time, doesn't it? Does number one... Is number one not there? I don't think you can go right way back to the beginning, no. Well, so it starts at two? Well, I'm not sure it starts at two, but I'm sure it doesn't start at one. But you no, can always go to the Fujicast website. They're all on there. No, no, it, it will be available because I click to the button that says make them all available. Oh, okay. So you just started at two. Did Mohammed Parani from Markham in Canada. 
He said, uh, I bought my first Fujifilm camera, the X-T2. Oh, maybe that's why he started it too. And thanks to the simpler strap that I won in the during the war days. Yes, that does seem a long time ago now. Uh, audio recorder straight away then I can answer that with, uh, I still think that the, uh, I think the, um, I think the H1 is a, is a terrific record. I think it's H1N now, isn't it? Um, um, because it's just really simple. Big red button on the front, press it, boom, record, away you go. It's got what's called an XY um, recording pattern on it. It's pretty good if you, I mean, I, I've used it certainly for, for I, I suppose, uh, baby shoot cute moments when I've popped it on the pillow and you can hear them snoring. It's good enough to pick that up. Uh, you can also use it for small interviews. It's not ideal for that. It's not really made for it, but you can. Great for Atmos sound. Uh, and, yep, in your pocket, no probs at all. I don't know much about the Tascams, I'm afraid. I've never used them, so there must be a, an alternative to that one. But, uh, yeah, the Zoom. The Zoom. You can have... Yeah, you, you can have uh, time code on recorders. Um, not on that Zoom model. No, you can't. Um, usually timestamps go on slightly more expensive models. Uh, as for actually synchro uh, synchronising it with camera and audio recorder, if you're taking stills, I'm not sure. Do you think that's possible, Kev? I don't, think I don't know. It's really interesting. I was you thinking can, that when you read the question you out. Can, you um, can do it with video, but certainly not with the Zoom one. Um, but not with. Uh, I can you? Well, I think you probably. I suppose. I suppose you could put them into time order in your file structure. Yes, you could do. Well, that. When you when you record audio, I, I suppose the question is: when you start recording audio, you can timestamp audio to start at zero 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 zero. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But can you timestamp it? Stamp it to start at that the time the current time and seconds that you're physically, you know, well, so now, now it's... Yeah, but now you're talking about machines that the time code stuff um, that you would use if you've got a field recorder. Yes, you can. And then and then you can uh, also start to look at GPS and all those kind of things to, to tie in your recordings with, with your stills, I guess, and, and video. Software-wise, well, we'll, well, I found an interesting something, um, a Google app that we'll, uh, we'll leave a, a link for. Kev and machine-wise, well, uh, we are looking at um, uh, some of the, some of the field recorders that uh, are available, but they're much more expensive machines. They're I bet you I, I, could you not beast. do that on one of these the little ones. No, you can only start at zero. Well, they're not throwing out EXIF data like that. No, it, so no. But if you've got yeah, correct, oh, correct me if I'm correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, anybody into audio, but I don't know. Not not on these. No, you'd need something like a field recorder that can do actual you know time coding yeah i was just thinking more along the lines of let's just say we started recording now and it's 9 a.m in the morning mm. so you set your camera you set your recorder to 9 a.m your camera is set to 9 a.m you take 20 pictures over the next hour you bring your audio into premiere pro or something like that you know that 9 a.m is the beginning you then look at the exif data of the um images and you can just drag the images very quickly to the time that's still slightly yeah. more manual process though isn't oh it? yeah 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 it's manual yeah. but but yeah that's that's probably what i would be yeah. thinking in my head well i suppose if you want to do it manually yes but i don't think there's anything that will automatically make your life much much easier all of a sudden no no there's an invention out there for somebody yeah look at that see a need fill a need what film was that robots wasn't it was it robots see a need fill a need no oh, idea okay <laughs> Right, your presets, Kev, just before we hear from Matt. Now, you've been working hard at these 
Now, the, the last set during uh, lockdown were impressive, but these are impressive or so. Yeah, the, the, yeah, so these ones I've worked my very large, substi- substantial bum off on. Right. Um, so they're not, they're not an upgrade on the previous ones as such. They, they, they're kind of different, if you like. So there's a lot more of them, 40-plus uh, film simulations. They're all profile-based, so they're, they're proper based on proper lookup table profiles rather than just a bunch of sliders that have been dragged around a bit. There's a whole load of utilities in there. It's a whole system. And I'm very proud of it, I have to say. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's available now on f16.click and kevinmullinsworkshops.co.uk. Well, give, give us an example of some of the some of the presets, some of the some of the names, some of the styles. Well, so we have um, I've kind of some of them have got my kind of take on things that i like to build so i've got things like uh 50s um there's astia ones there's as ones i've called film portrait cool there's a golden 50s a kodachrome style one i've called motion picture oh. um there's a one called summer film superior style teal and orange and then black and whites so we've got delta 800s we've got sim- uh, what i call simple monochrome which is my base standard monochrome look We've got FP4 styles, and we've got Neopan, Acros. Uh, we've got Mullins Gold in the mix there. Mullins Gold. Slightly warmed up. <laughs> yeah. We've got T-Max uh-huh. Tri-X styles, and then there's there's a, a little bonus. So the idea is that you, you pick your film, and then you can uh, add, via the utilities, you can add or remove grain and density and tones and vignettes and all that kind of stuff. But I've also thrown in, I've called them Legends of Film which are kind of like my some of my favorite emulations of other people's styles, I yeah. suppose, rather than their pictures. So we've got um, we've got Jane Bowne, we've got Anton Corbine, uh, we've got Eggleston, Meowitz, um, Padilla, and Parr thrown in the mix as well. Yeah, so there's there's a whole load, and I'm very happy with it. Yeah, and um, I am very very grateful for the people who who purchased last year. Yeah. Uh, now it's time to put your hands in your pockets again, people. <laughs> <laughs> who, who says Kev should give a discount? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a discount. Of course I will. <laughs> Fujicast is your discount code. And uh, I'm going to be very generous and give you 10% off. Oh, wow. Only, That's, only. You, you said five when we started this. You said, uh, blimey, he's just gone up five. That's the power of beer during a show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm drinking Thatcher's Rosé as yeah. well. Um, yeah, 10%. Um, but it's going to be for two weeks, two weeks. only. Yes. Oh, wow. Get, get, two weeks. Yeah, okay. Would have been 5% would have been, what, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah, well, no, if I'd left it at 5%, I would have just put the price up. Would you? Okay. <laughs> so the <laughs> actual pack is called Essential Film 2021. And, and, like ne- and never forget, Kev needs some money because he has to feed that horse of his. <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah, still doesn't, right. it still doesn't sound well, I'm afraid. Right, Matt Porteous. Matt Porteous, I've got to say, is one of the one of the nicest sounding blokes, I think, in the photography industry. Yeah. Um, you talk at, at one stage, I don't want to do a spoiler, but uh, you talk at one stage about positivity. And uh, I noted down a couple of things here. I don't always note things down, but I, I actually got my notebook out and thought, be like, <laughs> hashtag be like Matt. Um, yeah. Doesn't watch the news surrounds himself only with positivity doesn't have anybody that's not positive friends yeah it just he sounds like the like the perfect perfect bloke doesn't he yeah he's a really nice guy yeah. really nice guy and of course you know well you'll you'll hear in the interviews the, the backgrounds and stuff yeah um but yeah what a life ah oh, well when i grow up i want to be matt <laughs> 
Well, you did send me that earlier during the week, and I thought, what's he talking about? Then I heard the interview, and now I understand entirely. Uh, This is Matt Porteous. There's a lovely quote on your website which says, life is a game, play it. Life is a challenge, meet it. Life is an opportunity, capture it. And I think when I look at your work and when other people look at your work, that probably sums up your attitude to life, I guess. Tell us about your photography. How, how did you get into photography? What happened? I love that you picked up that quote. I mean, yeah, I absolutely love that. That's what life's all about, isn't it? Get out, get out there, capture it, tell new stories. But um, yeah, I, I started out my photography, my photography journey at a young age. I, I just I always took a big interest in photography. It was... Um, it was looking at my parents' photo albums. Um, it was just, you know, they went on adventures and I was just, I was really taken in by that. And, and I think I first picked up my first, uh, I had my first little yellow underwater Minolta camera when I was around eight and that, that just followed me everywhere. And I would just take, be taking pictures of just my life. And it was what I was doing. I wasn't, I mean, at eight years old, I wasn't focusing on anything, but more kind of going into my teenage years, I was really just documenting life and the life that I was living. You know, I was, I was, I was down the beach on the weekends and I was hanging out with my friends. I started traveling when I was around 16 and I would just document the people that I met, the places that I visited and just really bringing together and really just using photography as, as, as a voice. That was my voice. I wasn't a very chatty kid when I was younger. I was just really used my photography to kind of connect and, and really kind of show people how I saw the world, even though I wasn't necessarily showing people the pictures but I think I was just capturing it just to just maybe probably just for myself just for my own journey for my own kind of um my own my own diary entry of life no you're traditionally you're based in Jersey right but you're, you're not there now no, at the moment, I'm in uh, on an island called Fumala in the southern Maldives. Um, we managed to just um, get out of um, Jersey. We've been, you know, obviously we've been as everyone else been in lockdown. But um, Jersey um, had is was very. It's been great. It's been great over the last few months. It's been, you know, we've been pretty free to to roam. And um, an opportunity came up to come out to Fumala, this island in the southern Maldives, to document a, a really amazing ocean story um, around conservation shark diving and um and sustainable travel so that's why i'm here now but yeah originally i'm from jersey i've been in jersey my whole life um jersey is an amazing home uh you know i've i've been brought up in island life island style and i always find myself on islands around the world telling different stories and um yeah it's it's it gives you something living on an island you know there's always i've always had people asking me why aren't you living in, why don't you move to london why don't you come to the city why don't you do this but i'm like no i mean i love living on my island i i get something you know i go i travel around the world the world i work all around the world and and it's great to come back to jersey and just landing looking down at the beach and you know getting back and going and hanging out with my friends at the beach where we hang out and just things haven't changed everyone's left but everybody comes back because it's a beautiful place and you know i'm very fortunate to live there and and it's, it's where my work stemmed from you know down on the down on the sand dunes capturing people you know in the in the woods and going free diving on the north coast it's where i kind of it's where well and all my skills just to be able to take them further afield now if somebody typed your name into google probably the first thing that's going to come up is the um prince william catherine family pictures 
And perhaps that's something that is uh, it's something very much to be proud of. But I don't know whether I don't I don't want to pigeonhole you as as kind of a royal photographer or the royal photographer. But I think it's really important that we talk about that. And that those pictures are beautiful. They're so natural and they're so different to what you would generally expect from kind of traditional royal photos. And I think Catherine herself being a photographer probably levitated towards somebody like you because your wedding photos specifically as well are very natural how did how did that all pan out and and you know how did that relationship grow and and what happened there yeah thank you kevin that's um that's really nice of you to say and i think in all my work i very much look for that natural look i'm i'm never posing anyone if it's at a wedding or a portrait shoot i try and keep it as natural as i can and um, as with Catherine's work, when you see her, her work and the way that she captures her family, it's, it's very similar in the way we work. It's very similar in, in the tones and the, and the look and feel of the images. You know, I'm, I've been incredibly fortunate to, to, work with a, to work with the family over the last few years and just capturing very intimate moments of the family, just, you know, just relaxed family portraits as, as with every other family portrait that, that I do. It's it's just letting, it's just being there. It's being present, um, taking, taking everything in and, and never directing or never asking to do anything. It's just, you know, things can happen naturally. Things occur naturally um, when everybody's relaxed and everybody's in a, in a good mood. And, and that's, you know, that's how I've been working with them for the last few years. And it's how I work with every family, every wedding, every, every portrait shoot that I kind of enter really is, is capturing that natural side of people and trying to really bring their true side across and and um and i think with you know with the images that i've that i've captured with the family it, it it you know it really is um it's very relaxed you know wonderful family and um, Catherine, you know is such an amazing mom and but i'm such an amazing dad and it's just great to see them just interacting with the children so yeah i'm you know i've been very fortunate over the last few years to be capturing to be doing this yeah and i think when you look at those pictures you do get a sense of family ties and family values which is, yeah. like I said earlier, it's not something you, you normally associate with with kind of traditional royal photography. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mm. think it gives an insight into their personalities through the photography, which is great. That's the sign of a, a brilliant photographer in my mind. What happened? Did you just one day wake up and did somebody ring you and say, hey, it's Prince William here. Can you come and take some pictures? Or, you know, did it come through an agency or something? I, you know, don't tell us your secrets, but it must have been an amazing thing to think, oh, hang on, that's, that's quite a client to have. Yeah, no, I mean, it just came with, as with everything in life, it comes with time, connections, and you know, it's it's being in the right place at the right time, or capturing the the, a, you know, a certain you capture somebody one day, and you never know who they're going to be with or who they're going to connect with. And a few years down the line, if you've been nice to everybody along the way, and you've got on with everybody, and you've taken interest in everybody, and you produce good work along the way, you know, we we all know this as photographers. It takes time, and that you know, that's how it happened. It was it was organic. Um, it happened organically over a long period of time, just with a few different connections. And um, yes, I, you know, and I had I just had an email one day, and it went from there. I, I, it's really you mentioned there. It's these things take time, and as photographers, and I, I do feel like these days that you know, some people they don't want to put the time and effort and the graft into into the craft and the business side of things. They just want the rewards so quickly. Not everybody, of course, but. You know, when I when I explore your work and I explore your multitudes of websites and the Instagram channel and everything, 
it's very easy to see that you are much more than just a person photographer. I think, you know, when I, especially when I look at the ocean stuff, which I, hopefully we can chat about next, it's a, it's an outlet perhaps for, uh, for, you know, humanity. It's, you're doing stuff that is, of course it's paying the bills, but also there's a strong message here. And if anybody looks at your Instagram feed right now, they will see these incredible and I mean incredible uh, underwater shots uh, of the creatures, of selfies of yourself, your friends diving. I mean, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. So we move from the royal photography element of things. We'll sidestep weddings right now because everybody knows that that's just not really happening at the moment. And you find yourself in the Maldives. You're diving with sharks. What, what's what's happening there? How's that, how's that working out for you? Over the last five years, um, I have been dedicating my, my free time, my time outside of weddings and commercial works and my winters to documenting stories around positive change. Um, and it first started with Ocean Culture Life, which I founded in Hawaii in 2015. And I was really drawn. I went to Hawaii. It was an El Nino season. It means there's a season where there's going to be a lot of big waves. And I was just drawn because I love the ocean and I've always wanted to get in big waves with my camera and just capture just capture that that beauty and that power of the ocean but the the first thing that i was drawn to when i got there was actually not the not the surfers and the professional surfers but it's more actually the lifeguards um, because the waves were massive the first day i was there and i looked at it and i just turned to the lifeguard tower and i went walked up to him and said can you can you give me some information what should i should be doing and they said don't go in today because you're going to die. Come back and see us tomorrow morning and we'll tell you if you can go in. And that's it. So that, well, that's what happened. I went to see them the next day. They said, they just said, yeah, go in today, Matt. You'll be fine. We'll look out for you. We're going to keep an eye on you. And, and that's what they did. And so I just started taking interest in the lifeguards. And the lifeguards are there to protect the surfers and they're there to protect the swimmers and they're there to, set, there to save people's lives. And then the lifeguards are also working as shark conservationists. So then I would spend time with the lifeguards and the shark conservationists. And then I just started looking around and there's this whole community and culture that is there with the free divers and the people that clean up the plastics and the people that are using the ocean for mental health issues. And there are all these stories that need to be told. And my only other language is photography. So I thought I'm going to, I want to set up a, a dedicated uh, website which is ocean culture life just to be able to go and document these people these, you know, these guardians of the ocean the people that are looking after the planet its people and uh, and the creatures of the planet and um and being able to just connect them and connect these stories so for the last five years we've been working on that we've got a team we've got an incredible community of ocean storytellers all around the world now some of the most well known names in the in the industry and um and, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing here at the moment in, uh, in Formula in the Maldives is, is we're connected with a, an ocean storyteller called John O'Allen. And um, he's come down here and he's just seen the possibilities that are here, but he also understands the issues that are happening in the island. So it's around, so we're, so we're documenting the, the shark diving, which is, you know, we were in the water this morning with seven tiger sharks swimming around us. And that's kind of on a, on a daily, that's been happening daily. And they're literally within um, a foot of me this morning, just cruising past. But they're the most beautiful creatures I've ever been around. And they, it's, this island isn't too well known about at the moment. And there's a certain 
core group of people that will come down and maybe they're, they're the boats that come through but if it's not managed properly now it will just become overrun the you know the there'll be too many divers in the water there are people doing there are already people doing silly things at the moment but if it's not documented right now and and it's put out in the right way so we're setting up a foundation here um to make sure there's a, there's a you know there's an ocean code of conduct and when people come here, then the money goes back into the to the community and it helps with the plastic cleanups. It makes sure that there's less plastic coming into the island. It helps with the, the, the fishermen. And so there's a whole big story. It's not just about the underwater pictures with the sharks. It's just it's everything around it. So it's a, it's a storytelling element. It's, it's the thing that we have the gift to be able to connect with people and connect with, connect with locals and hear their story. And, um, and they're so grateful that we that we take interest in them and and we you know we we've been invited into the houses we're invited in for for lunch today and um and every day we're always inviting people's houses and as storytellers we have that we have that ability to be able to meet people capture the story tell their story in the right way in the positive way that can um that can really make a difference you know with, without storytelling they can't you know they're not going to be heard in the right way there's going to be it's um, there's, there might be a different story that's, that's, that's told, like a negative story that's told around a certain community or a certain um, country, but there's always positive stories there. There are always positive stories to tell. And, um, and yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing with Ocean Culture Life and documenting changemakers. Through your lens, we, we see so much from uh, the depths of the oceans, peak into the royal family, uh, you know, a landfill site in India, uh, the skies above with the drone work, all that kind of stuff but it is always positive. It's always the positivity that comes out of it. And I think, it, you know, I, I haven't been able to find any images that make me not think that's a good story. Ultimately, uh, it may be based on the foundations, maybe on negativity in terms of the, the circumstance, but you're showing and finding the positivity out of it all, which I, is that something that you do purposefully? Is that part of your remit? Uh, I think it's brilliant anyway. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you. And um, yeah, I guess it's just been my my storytelling. I've always been interested in the positive story. I'm always, you know, I love to surround myself with positive people. I love to connect with new people and find new stories. So yeah, my my work is very much about it's, it's about positivity. You know, I've been a I've been a wedding photographer for ten years. It's a very it's it's a positive thing to be around very happy people. Um, but I've always looked at the I've always looked at the positive in life. You know, I don't watch the news. I won't be I won't surround myself with negative people. I will just surround myself with good people. I will go to beautiful places. Um, you know, you've, when you talk about India, we've been working around child labour in India for the last few years as well, and human trafficking. Now you could easily go there and you can see the negative, and there's a lot of negative that's happening in these countries, but. The story that comes from it is a positive. It's the charities that are going in and helping these children and and getting them through schooling and giving them a positive life. That's the story that that's the story that I'm interested in. I don't. I you see the negative and there's and there's so much negative in this world and people talk about negativity all the time. But if you're constantly searching for positive, I think it can only be a good thing and you're only going to meet. Um, you know, positive people as well. You mentioned then again weddings, and and like I said, weddings are a bit tricky right now. But is that still something that you will be focusing on when the world starts spinning again properly? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love weddings. You know, I'm, unfortunately, I get to go to some beautiful places and photograph some amazing people. And if you look at my if my social feed, you won't see any wedding pictures. I've I won't see any wedding pictures on my social feed. We've got a dedicated wedding social platform, but I don't 
I talk about my personal work because it is my life's journey. This is my journey. This is the way I see the world. And I think a lot of my clients are attracted to my work because of my personal work. So they're attracted to, they know that I love the ocean. They know that I tell these stories in, around the world. So you know, a lot of time it'll be the guy, it'll be the, you know, the husbands that will see the work and they might see a lot of um, wedding, different wedding photographers and they're like, oh, okay, that guy goes diving. He likes to go diving and he goes in the ocean. But so I think I have a, a certain kind of um, wedding client. Hmm. And they're always amazing. Like my, my wedding clients are amazing. And the, you know, I, I get to go to amazing places. I get to go to beautiful places. And weddings are so different now. Everyone's, it's not a typical kind of wedding that you would you know, traditionally have gone to. And when I first started out 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever it was, I think weddings are very different now. And even coming out of this, coming out of COVID, I think there's going to be a much um, bigger reason to have smaller weddings and you know we know that a small intimate wedding between 35 and 70 people is 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 such an intimate time whether it's on a day or over a whole weekend that people can have that whole experience now it's not just about the day it's about the whole experience and and as photographers that's what we're capturing we want to capture that experience we want to capture that first light and the, all these little bits that were missed and and if you're doing that in a, in a gorgeous place somewhere in the world or you know in the, in the countryside in the uk or on the beach in jersey it's really it's really special yeah yeah well fingers crossed they'll all be back soon enough for everybody now uh, part of your growing up in terms of the business side of things you set up studio m is it a collaboration maybe of uh, lots of different people and does this does this umbrella of studio m you know encapsulate everything else the ocean work and all of the other work that you're doing yeah studio is kind of it's more kind of the commercial side of our of our business so it's more working with the brands and working with businesses and in jersey we've got a lot of corporate work and um but again over the last few years we've been focused a lot more towards purpose-driven storytelling and um and working with brands that are making a difference so we we're trying to promote ourselves as much as we can to be telling a new story, telling a positive story from the brand's point of view and from the business point of view. Um, so that's a, that's the way the whole kind of side of, of that business is going, really. It's not, it's, it's not aligned with ocean culture life because that's a, bit, that's a different business, really. It's, um, it's actually um, it's, um, being set up as a charity. It's a charity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the Studio M is it's a... It's a community. It's a, it's, there's a few, there's photographers in there. There are filmmakers. Um, we are reaching out to different creatives um, in, in different fields as well. So yeah, it's, it was, you know, it was, it was founded through commercial work and now we're just, we're going down the, we're going down the purpose driven storytelling route. Uh, tomorrow you have a choice. You can either shoot a glorious wedding in the Tuscan Hills or you can go shark diving with your camera. Where would you go? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, my, my happiest place is, is under the water with a camera. So I, if that answers your question. You know, I've got to get, I need to go to the Tuscan Hills to photograph a wedding so I can actually afford to come and photograph the sharks as well. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's also, true. I think I think about that. <laughs> you know, this, you know, it, it is, there is, there is a, there's a commercial side that also pays for our personal work here as well. You know, the, you, you have to spend enough money on the, on the personal work before I actually start paying back. So. Yeah, that's good. That's an honest answer as well. And that's, that's, that's the truth of it for sure. Definitely. Thinking back to, to the, um, to the underwater stuff, what, what kind of, 
equipment you're using how you, i mean the, the the images and i really encourage everybody to to go to your instagram feed because the images are just insane they're just amazing and how are you you know what's your what's your kind of go-to equipment for the underwater stuff specifically yeah so underwater um you know for the last few years i've gone i've gone from surf housings to now i've got top of the range uh, water housing so i'm using nautical water housing um i've got a canon 5d mark 4 in there i've been you know I've, I've you know i've been a fuji um shooter for the last um four years on on above the water but to get my GFX underwater was going to cost me £12,000 for water housing. And it was just crazy. It just wasn't going to mm-hmm. happen. So I've really been, um, I've really been looking. I'd love to get, and I know the new Fuji's out and there's a hundred megapixels. If I could be shooting with a medium format underwater, you know, that's still my dream. It's just, it just hasn't been a possibility. So um, water housings are expensive. They're, you know, they're kind of in the five and a half, six grand ranges for the water housing. And then you've got the cameras. So I'm down there. I've got my Canon. I'm shooting with a 16 to 35 lens. It gives me that. It gives me that ability just to just to um, um, focus in and on my images. You know, not on land. I always use prime lenses, but under the water, I'm using a 16 to 35, and that's my that's my go-to lens underwater. And um, yeah, I mean, we are. I'm actually in the. I'm actually putting together an underwater an ocean um, photography course whilst I'm here with um, with my friend Jono. Because we've had a bit of time, we've had a bit of free time, so we're, we're doing a course following on from the from the um, photography course that I've done over the last few months. So, is that a will that be a kind of online learning type video on demand type thing, or will it will it be uh, in person? People have to fly out to the Maldives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it will be. There were going to be exhibition expeditions on here eventually, or, yeah. or probably next year, this time next year. But um, for now, it's going to be a pretty kind of easy kind of introduction to photography underwater and talking just everything from a GoPro. You, you go and get yourself a GoPro and you can get the most incredible images. You know, I've been filming the whole time with the GoPro on top of my camera. So I go down my housing and then I've got a GoPro on top. So I'm filming and photographing at the same time. And, the, you know, the, the 4K quality you're getting from a GoPro 10 meters underwater is is it's kind of matches any other camera it's you know we, we find it easier to edit so we're using that underwater the images that you can get and you put an easy edit on it and you can get some beautiful images from a gopro as well and also just using you know you can go down with the phone you can go down with your phone put, put housing on the phone and you can get some great images and the same way with photography being underwater it's all about the light it's understanding where the light's coming from you know being in clear water like we're in right now is you know we're, we're in we're gifted with this, the clarity that we have, but, you know, getting in the water and when I get, when I'm back home, getting in the water, you've got to find, you know, look for the good days, look for the good light and know where your subject's going to be and the kind of, the kind of style of images you're looking for. So it's not about the really expensive equipment. It's just really about just understanding your light and, um, and being comfortable in the water. That's the main thing is, mm. is being comfortable before you get in the water and, you know, make sure that you've, you understand the area that you're in and, you understand the currents and you, you know, you're, you're fully equipped and you're going in with a friend and, you know, it's all these things that we, that we talk about really in the, in the course as well. With all of the issues with plastic and things like that in the world. And that, that nearly always lends itself to the problems in the seas. Is that a focal point? Is that something that's concerning you and, you know, your photography and of course videography as well, because that's, that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the last two years, I've been working in the Maldives for a project called Namuna Bar. Um, and it's part of uh, the Cineva Fushi brand. 
And they have been, um, they've been coming up with ways to eradicate single use plastic over the last 10 years, probably longer, actually. They were, they banned, um, they banned plastic straws back in the 90s because of um, Eva's um, forward thinking ideas of how to clean up the ocean and protect the ocean. So they've been running these projects. So I've been working alongside documenting the projects and, and the work that they're doing of um, the, the waste to wealth management that they're doing so recycling plastic recycling tins recycling coconuts and they're just everything they can to stop the waste going into the into the ocean so also a lot of my time in the Maldives is spent on an island called Telefushi which if anyone if you look that up it's a huge island that's just made out of trash because there hasn't been anywhere else to put the trash over the last few years so a lot of my work has been um, you know, on on Trash Island and working around in and around, um, actually in and around the the island, understanding the best ways that they can manage their manage their um, their waste issues. And last year, I came out. I actually came out here with NBC News and and the Today Show to do a whole report on it. So it's a big thing. It's a big it's a big part of the story. You know, we can see when people talk about the Maldives, you think about um, beautiful villas on five-star hotels, but there's so much more to it than that. The, the Maldives are, you know, it's the same as um, any Asian group of islands that you visit. You know, there's their local communities. They have um, have certain issues that are happening on the island. And most of them at the moment are, are based around um, waste. You know, how do you get rid of waste on an island that might only be a mile long or, you know, few hundred meters long there has to be there has to be a way to deal with it and when there's no kind of accessible drinking water it's really coming down to um to delivering plastic on the island that we're on at the moment that you know there's two hundred thousand plastic bottles um a month i think being delivered here when it you know the the actual the, the way to deal with that is um having filtration systems in each house um and and also bottle bottle bay so that's that's part of the story that we're telling here so it's a big story it's a it's a really big thing you know in 20 years ago they didn't have this issue they didn't have plastic so they they used to take their rubbish down to the beach and just set fire to it it was normal but if you're taking the rubbish down to the beach now and it's mixed with plastic it's really bad for the for the local Mm. community so it's been a really big story it's been a really big kind of focus my storytelling over the last um over the last few years um because it's all it's all it's all based around the ocean you know yeah. it's there's a much bigger story i always ask people towards the end of these interviews one question and that would be what would you say to an 18 year old matt if if if, a, if an 18 year old version of you came and sat by you now and said what should i do with my life today what would you what would you say do you think <laughs> <laughs> trust your instincts and anything you're anything that you're passionate about in life just go for it and but just go for it at 100 percent because if you love something if there's something that makes you wake up every day it doesn't have to be photography whatever whatever you're most invested in whatever you love the most in life that can be your business that can be that can this is what you should invest all of your time and all of your effort into because one day you can turn that into into a business one day you know that that will make you want to wake up every day and want to go to work. You know, for, for me, it was, it was storytelling and, and I think it's just been in, invested interest into it because I'm so passionate about it. I'm so passionate about the storytelling. So for my telling my 18 year old self, it, was, it would have been also to have more confidence when I was 18. I didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of confidence when I was 18. And you know, I wish I'd like 
tell myself, you've got the confidence, you can do this, just go for it. You don't need to, you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait on anybody else. Don't rely on other people. Don't rely on other people to help you because you've got to help yourself. I think that's a, I think that would be a really good thing. You know, we got a lot of people always asking us if they can come and assist with us or they want to come and they want to come and work with us. But the people that, that stand out are the people that are doing it themselves and they've got out when they and they have a camera and they're telling their own story and they're building their own profile because the only way to really do anything is to do it on your own. You can you can't rely on other people. You have to do it on your own and you have to think for yourself and get out there and do it and just and push yourself through your fears that you have. Don't let your fears hold you back. Just push yourself through a fear because if you push yourself through small fears every day, then you'll you'll overcome so much. And um, and the world is a is a magical place if you can if you can learn to overcome fears and and um, push yourself through it. Well, thanks to Matt Porteous, and of course you will have links to follow to his work in the show notes today at fujicast.co.uk. Also, after this show on my solo podcast, Photography Daily, we have a packed week heading toward Easter weekend, so download these this week to take you through to the holiday and, of course, to next week's Fujicast. Today, there's a very powerful show in terms of subject matter about two things. First of all, Mark Wilson is a supremely talented commercial photographer, but he's equally a real knowledge base when it comes to making his personal projects that he creates into books. And if you've thought of crowdfunded style projects, I know you want to hear about his latest Kickstarter project. It's called A Wounded Landscape, in which he talks to and photographs 22 people or or shares individual stories about those who survived or were murdered in the Holocaust. Now, it's unlike anything I've seen of this story. There are portraits, there are places, there are items, but none of it is gratuitous or designed to shock. It's just the most incredible take on this. One of the stories is my own, yeah. my own family, but <clears throat> even even taking that away, I mean, I can't take it away from there because I wouldn't be the same, you know, I wouldn't be the person I am and I wouldn't have made the work in the same way, but it's each of the stories, each of the 22 stories has deeply affected me and, you know, will stay with me forever. Then today also I talked with Thomas Kelly, who's a picture desk editor, but equally he is the television producer behind Shooting the Darkness the incredibly potent story about the photographers of Northern Ireland during the Troubles, who one moment were photographing local sport, Jim Carners, the Czech presentations, that kind of thing, and then suddenly they were effectively conflict photographers. Certainly not what they'd signed up for. And they were watching this like kind of hellscape open up around them. And we felt it was very important to tell their story. Then on Wednesday, what a treat, Joe Pugliese, without a doubt one of the biggest names in LA celebrity photography. When Bono, Tom Hanks, Jodie Foster, Barack Obama, insert any famous name here come to town, who do they choose to make their portrait? None other than Joe Pug, as he humorously names himself online. You know, they're so good at playing, you know, this, this a comic actor. Is it's like vaudeville, like they're going to be able to um, just give, give, give. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes I'm trying to tone it down. Joe is also the photographer who Oprah Winfrey calls upon to work with all her biggest guests. And of course, that means a certain couple of late. And you wouldn't expect me not to ask a question about that shoot. Stories of life told by photographers. This week, three for you. And coming soon, a new weekend supplement show where I interview exciting portrait, wedding and commercial photographers 
all across the world as the photography industry prepares to reopen again, with, of course, some understandable exceptions. But with all that happening, I thought this was the time to start the new photography business edition with all the production values you've come to expect, not just an interview show. Photography Daily is on all your favourite podcast apps with extra content available through our Patreon shows too. Right, back to the questions. Kev, from the Facebook group. This one's from Jeff Petrie, mm. and he says, uh, Kevin, you've mentioned, well, and Neil as well, you mentioned that you can't wait to be able to get back out and be able to visit the bookstores. Uh, yeah, curiously, how do you go about selecting your photography books? Do you only buy books of photographers that you're familiar with? What attracts you to a particular book? Or do you simply buy a book with images that you like? Hmm, that's a good question. I've kind of levitated towards people that I, I would not really have come across unless mm. I've seen mm. uh, another review or an article or the Martin Parr bookshop is amazing because even yes. if you don't buy the books from the Martin Parr bookshop, they, they are some amazing um, resources there for uh, you know, photographers I've never, ever heard of. And then I can go and research and, you know, have a look at whether I'd like the books or not. So that kind of thing. But I, I said, I think I said last week that I, you know, I really like going to Hey on Why, you know, the bookstores there. And um, what I, what I would do is, you know, is find the dustiest, oldest bookstores <laughs> and find their photography yeah. bits yeah. and then just rummage like a good rummage. And, and it doesn't have to be people I know. Uh, and I, I don't mind paying for something, you know, well, as long as I've got the money, but I don't mind paying for something that I think is um, going to be an investment as well as be enjoyable. But yeah, I mean, I today's book, for example, I guarantee, I would say that 90% of the people listening will never have heard of this photographer. Really? Okay. Mm, yeah, well, I might I be totally yeah, wrong, no. but um, yeah. It seems like a good time to do a book, Kev. It does. Should we Hang do on. one? Yeah. <laughs> no, not a beer, a book. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying. I tried my best. <laughs> okay, right. So this week we do have uh, Vinka Pettersson, uh, and it's called No System. Now, talking, backing onto that question we just had, the yeah. reason why I picked this book up was, again, because of Martin Parr. It wasn't on the bookstore, but it was something on the Martin Parr Facebook page. And, and he said... Those of you who missed out on this book, first edition of it, which is in the 80s, um, she's now republishing it. So she republished it last year. And it's, uh, according to the, the bio, uh, Vinka Pettersson is a British photographer and artist based in... Ramsgate. Correct. Yeah. Her photography book, No System, documents her life in the 1990s, traveling around Europe with sound systems, putting on free parties. Wow. There we go. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it, it's really. I bought it direct from her website. Yeah, and it's it's it, you know as as it says she was she was working with sound systems in the nineties and traveling all around Europe with um uh, you know what can only be described as uh, a rag and bone set of people. Let's put it that way. All of which obviously had their own roles and were. Mm. Well, perfectly normal people. However, when you're in Eastern Europe and you're putting on parties that you shouldn't be, there's going to be quite a lot of uh, things going on that perhaps shouldn't be going on. Um, but wonderful pictures that are, and she took these, she had a little point and shoot film camera. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's, you know, simple things like there's a guy walking out of the, 
um, presumably the shower block and he's got all his hair shaved and he's got, uh, you know, his trousers on, he's got toothbrush in one hand. Um, then I'm, I'm going through, we've got, there's lots of, um, let's just say cigarettes that perhaps are not just cigarettes. They're like the sweetie ones, Kev. What, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, just like them. <laughs> there's, um, and it, it's interspersed with letters and notes that she's written oh, to her friends wow. during her travels or yeah. has received. Yeah. Um, it's great. There's a picture of this guy. Uh, there's no page numbers. It's just a kind of picture. He's, she's thrown a flash on it and he's just stood there. <laughs> He's got a piece of bread in one hand and his finger up his nose up in the other hand. And it's just real kind of warts and all. The, the thing about what the reason why I like this so much is not so much the, you know, I don't look at the pictures and think, uh, you know, oh, well, these are these are creatively brilliant or anything like that. But they're true, honest documentary pictures. And she's even though she wasn't, uh, you know, a professional photographer, there's she's thought about the pictures in terms of there's one here. They've, they've obviously gone to get some food from the supermarket and she's shooting out. She's in, sat in the front of the van. They've opened the back of the door. She's shooting out that way. Um, you can see the light flare, um, where the light has leaked onto the, onto the lens. Um, this guy with a supermarket trolley, literally just ram packed full of, uh, vodka and beer. <laughs> yeah. There's people, I mean, you can just imagine it's hard to describe as always with these books, but it's it's almost commune like you know there's people all youngsters they're all involved in this um this kind of community um there's a handful of kids running around they've, they've taken their kids there's a picture here of two security guards looking over the, this i mean presumably this is somewhere in in eastern europe in the 90s um you know there's they're in this filthy caravan and then you've got these two security guards looking very ominously over at them um you know and there's it's just fun it's just really fun i would imagine that a lot of the people in this book are you know feeling the effects now later in life perhaps um but it's there's a beautiful picture the main spread actually is of all of the the kind of brutalist pictures that are in there um there's a really lovely picture of them a whole load of them sat on a stood and sat on a rock in a in a stream wide stream yeah um you know some of them are cleaning washing themselves some of them are clean their teeth and stuff and you've got this um girl at the front who seems to be meditating a little bit um but that's you know it looks like such a wonderful place in this in a forest somewhere magical you can really understand why these why they are all um you know all together it's a picture of a guy in a hammock covered in uh, a net foam isn't Um, it or is it a net a net, I would say, yeah, presumably oh, yeah. because of the the mosquitoes or yeah. midges or wherever it was in yeah. that part of the world. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, if you're into music, if you're into the music of the 90s and, you know, you want to see some behind the scenes of the people that might have been involved in those raves and stuff, this is right up your alley. Um, and the words, the words, the letters and everything are great as well. You know, I love, I can't read and read them because there's quite a lot of them, but, you know, it's nice that she's kept these letters and she's, you know, including them in this scrapbook, if you like, there's one at the end, which is a map of Lisbon. And she's the, the, the entire letter is written over the map. Just, yeah. <laughs> dear Mark and Connie. Yeah, brilliant, wonderful stuff. And the handwritten letters, which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, Diary I love, entries it, it reminds like me that. a little bit of um, Ziza Cruz, Bacani's book. Yes, we are yes, like it air, does. Yes, yes. In that it's, um, you know, it's it's got the, it's her story, her pictures, her eyes, you know, she's observed all that stuff and also her notes. And I love, I love that, you know, I love a book that's feels like there's been a lot of thought rather than, you know, just, just the curation of the pictures, but a lot more to it than that. 
Good. I wonder, I wonder I like how, how many of us in our early, you know, as, as we all sort of progress through our lives, 30, 40, 50, 60s, whatever, um, that you think, oh, do you know, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, but, you know, between the, the ages of, I don't know, randomly choosing 18 to, say, 25, had recorded that period as photographs would now look back with our handwritten notes and uh, I mean, they'd, they'd all be amazing documents of our lives, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, I, I really wish that I'd thought about photography way before I did. Yeah. You know, I've only really been doing it 15 years. And yeah, I mean, it would have been amazing. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I, I kicked myself for all those years that I didn't record uh, my, my broadcasting years. All that stuff that I'd done and seen and places I've been and these sort of grungy clubs as well uh, a lot of places that I I hung out and the raves and stuff like that <laughs> just visions of you at a rave now well no it wouldn't be rave would have been acid wouldn't it in my day acid. <laughs> oh my god I did go Kev you know once upon a time this great never, this grey bearded <laughs> chap <laughs> I never did anything like that I was such a square yeah but when I was there Kev I was the square really because mm, I true. can honestly say hand on heart I never took any any drugs. I didn't. I wasn't part of that scene. My my vice, yes, alcohol, and um, I think on the um, the club I did uh, I did a week of club nights in Amsterdam. And uh, when I when I came back through uh, uh, through was it Heathrow? I think it was Heathrow. Um, there's an interesting story which I must tell you about off air one day. I don't think that's the story for on air. But uh, apart from that, really, no, I'm. I think everybody, everything went on around me, really. I would have been the perfect photographer because I was the most sober one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. Um, but that sounds a great book. So, uh, so Vinka Peterson. Yeah, you can go straight to her website and you can get the second edition. I think you can still get the second. It's a, it's a reprint. It's not a, mm. you know, an update. It's a reprint. The first one is very rare. Mm. So if you can find the first one and, you, and you, you, you get hold of it and hold on to it, then I'm sure it will be a very good investment. Mm. On the book front, by the way, Peter Foote wrote to us, not very happy, actually, Kev. <laughs> I think I'm going to stop listening to the Fuji cast. It's costing me a fortune. I've just received my copy of 1234. If, like me, your interests include music and black and white photography, then, then this big book is a must for your collection. So yeah. he, he's turning from being really angry to actually advertising it. Yeah, I, I mean, I said, didn't I? And, and that's a highly available book as well. Yeah. If you if you are into any of those things, get it. Well, get it anyway. Yeah. Just get it. Spend. Uh, <laughs> Gra- Graham B. Just wondered what you guys thought of the uh, of the XA7. It seems like an underrated camera. Massive LCD screen and compact body. I understand you guys may prefer a, a viewfinder. In this this case, if you try the XT200. But at 399 quid, refurbished, it is a steal. Yeah. Um, well, the XA7, I did have an XT100. Mm. I never got an XT, which I, I subsequently sold after using it for a bit. And then I, I, I didn't get an XT200. But yes, the X, so the XA range, as far as I understand it, doesn't sell very well in Western world. Mm. Um, however, in Asia, it's huge. It's absolutely huge because it's it's built really for you know selfies and you know it's 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 that kind of generation yeah um, and they really marketed it very strongly to um, you know like females and stuff so they, the marketing message was you know fits in handbags and you know you can take it to clubs and do selfies and all that kind of stuff like but essentially 
combating mobile phones. That was the marketing message for it. And it worked, I think, in Asia, um, less so the rest of the world. So I think, you know, if you... If you look at the um, the sale book of Fujifilm worldwide, the XA range is actually a very good. You know, it's a good, it's a good seller, and it is a good camera. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just another option, isn't it? It's uh, you know, it's a different sensor. It doesn't have the film simulations that some of the others have. Single card slots, general, you know, yeah. general kind of things like that, really. But it's uh, yeah, it is cheap and it is it is a nice camera, and you can get it in different colors. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> Job done. I've got one more shorty here, actually. And then your question. I think that's it for the week because we had quite a long interview and a long first half. Damien Karras. Um, good evening, gents. Love the Fuji cast. I have a couple of questions. I decided to go mirrorless earlier this year and jumped from Canon to Sony. I got the A7 III with the 24-7T 2.8 GM and that blew my photo budget. I should think it did. Mm. Then I started listening to you and my gas returned. Uh, with a vengeance. We don't like that gas, do we? <laughs> Suppose I was to jump to Fuji. Would you recommend the X-T4 or the X-T3? I've read that the 4 is just really a 3 with IBIS. Additionally, wh which zoom would you recommend? Thank you from Frank in Birmingham. That doesn't make sense. Damien Carras, but, but it's Frank. Hmm, okay. <laughs> All right. 4 <laughs> or 3. Is, is 4 really, is it just, just a, a uh, lot of I hype, Kev? I think that just saying the X-T4 is the X-T3 with IBIS is a little bit disingenuous, but it's borderline truth also. Um, it is the same sensor. However, the X-T4 does have uh, the newer battery. You know, it has the uh, better screen. Well, some people think it's better screen. Um, and it does have IBIS and, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean essentially you can get exactly the same pictures out of an X-T3 that you could from an X-T4. Mm. Um, but you, you, the X-T4 is, is a better camera. Simple as that, really. Uh, I, had to, I had to think very carefully because I recently um, have looked at my, my video shooting um, and I went for X-H1s above and sort of swapping around and doing a bit of jiggery-pokery and going for X-T4s. And I know some people would say, what, Neil, you're mad. What? But I've always had, the, as you well know, this um, this thing about the XH shape and the grip and everything about it. Well, maybe you'll get over that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you're so rude. <laughs> right, last question of the show. And um, do you want to draw one out of the Facebook? Yeah, I will. I'm looking for a quick one as we get into the end of the day. And I will go for um, Leslie Burdett. She says, uh, do you send off your camera bodies for cleaning using uh, Fujifilm's FPS service, for example, or others? Or do you clean your own sensors? Also, which do you prefer, sunrise or sunsets? I prefer sunrise. Yeah, me too. Never sent my cameras off, no. I actually clean my own sensors quite happily as well. I, I don't think I've ever cleaned a sensor. I've what? never cleaned... What? Never, ever, not once. The amount of times I didn't you even know it was a thing, really, until oh, a few years ago. Shut the front door. No, of course you did. No, I didn't. I didn't know you could. I knew you could have them. Um, Here we are. Uh, got all my sensor cleaners. Loads there. Look, ready to clean my sensors. Yeah, but mirrorless, I didn't think it. I, I knew it was a thing when I had my old Canon system. Mm. I used to send those off every year. I'd send them off to. Um, 
Oh, well, it's, it's Canon Professional Services yeah. in Elstree. Yes. I would send them all off. Yeah. I'd stick, you know, 15 grand's worth of cameras in a box and let watch the postman walk down the street with it all. What? Um, I used to take mine. Did you? Yeah. Oh, you should have kept your boxes. You could have just sent them off in the post. <laughs> I did keep my boxes. No, I, I wasn't sure about the, uh, the, the them being collected, so I used to make a little day out and go over. Uh, well, yeah, maybe. But anyway, I did used to do it then. But, but no, honestly, in the last 12 years, I've never, ever, ever even thought about having my sensors cleaned no. but i do shoot mostly at narrow apertures oh. so i'm wide, you know wide apertures i should say so f 2.8 f 1.2 if you're in f 16 then you're probably going to see it a little bit more uh, if you're in f 16 land with kev it's going to look like a snowstorm yeah so <laughs> leslie i don't send them off but perhaps you should <laughs> and and it's sun sunrise for, for us both is it well, that's it for this week. Thank you for your your emails and your um, and the questions that you pose on the Facebook group. You got enough in the Facebook group at the moment, Kev? Yeah, we got a good good set. But keep them coming. Yeah, could do with a few more emails. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Click at fujicast.co.uk. See you in the Facebook group for any questions. Uh, a shout out for our um, our mods, Steve and Peter. Um, because they don't get enough uh, uh, credit, really, for, for the work that they do. So, hello, Steve. Hello, Peter. Um, send your questions in. Uh, thank you to those that are supporting us on, on Patreon. Uh, music is from Blue Wednesday. We're supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. Our thanks to the man that has possibly, I think, one of the, the best lives in the world that we've, well, certainly that you've spoken to of late, Matt Porteous. I mean, he was on that island. He is a is a sort of lesser-known Maldivian island, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to the Maldives? Nope. Ah, oh, it's, um, without wanting to say, have you ever been to Australia? It's wonderful, Kev. It's everything that they say that an, an island in the Maldives, it, it's, it's just like, it is a tropical paradise. And it's, it's terrible that it won't be that long before many of those islands are no longer they're washed over they're gone yeah i know with the, with the rising tides which is why why matt's out there and that's the sort of thing that he's working on making people aware of isn't he yeah so um thank you to matt um if you want to see our offerings to the photo community visit fujicast.co.uk go see the show notes and we will see you next week bye-bye bye-bye the fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way